Well, let's pray, and then we're going to get into Psalms 141 tonight. Father, thank you for just a quiet a chance just to quiet our hearts tonight and sing some truth that just remind us again and again of our standing that we have in you through your Son, this right, holy, blameless position that we've been brought into, completely undeserved but graciously merited to us through the finished work of Jesus. We owe all to you, Lord. Now, hard to sing that. We want to live for you. We want to die for you if you want us to. Lord, help us uh, be faithful while we have time, Lord. We thank you for an opportunity to study. We thank you for prayer. We thank you that we can walk into the throne room of God at any moment because of the finished work of Jesus. We can speak with the almighty God, the omnipotent God, the omnipresent God, the omniscient God at any moment because Christ made a way. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be men and women of prayer. We would not neglect the great gift of praying. And, Lord, we pray you encourage us as we look at another great prayer tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Sheely led us in a time of prayer last Wednesday. If you remember, we ended up praying for our missionaries. But he, he did a great job. He looked at five things. You remember them? We looked at the, the form of prayer. There's different forms of praying. Sometimes you, you're on your face before God. and uh, Sometimes there's prayers of, of pleading and... Uh, precatory psalm prayers. I mean, there's all kinds of prayers that we pray, the Lord's Prayer. There's places where we pray. We pray here together. We should. We pray alone. We pray with our spouses. We pray with loved ones and brothers and sisters. There's manner of prayer. There's times your heart is broken when you pray. You plead as a child completely at unease to what's going on in your life. There's prayers of, of theology. Pray theology to God. Remind Him, though He doesn't need reminding, but He loves the praise of His children, how great a God He is. There's lengths of prayers. If you've ever been in a car wreck, maybe it got out of your mouth, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> That's a short prayer, but He heard it. There's times to pray for hours. And then there's the time of prayer. It may be morning, it may be evening, before meals. But it needs to be wide open. At any time, you must understand we have the right by the work of Jesus Christ. We have the great privilege to walk into the presence of God at any time. And I think we fail so often to do that. Well, tonight I want to look at a prayer. It's in Psalms 141. It is a prayer of David, and I'll explain this set of psalms and prayers in a minute here. But let me just read this psalm. I'm really encouraged by it in a lot of ways, and I think it's a challenging prayer and psalm as well. Psalms 141, King David, inspired by the Spirit, wrote this, O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. My prayer 
Be, may my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to evil things, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous Smite me with kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon my head. Do not let my head refuse it. For still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. Their judges are thrown down by the sides of the rock. And they hear my words for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. For my eyes are towards you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me, and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Well, the great patriarchs and matriarchs in the Bible are certainly known for their prayers. Uh, as we get into Deuteronomy a little farther, and even in Numbers as we start that, August 31st, I'll start the book of Numbers. Um, I think that's a Wednesday. Um, we will see great prayers of Moses as he communes with God in Moses. Many of us have studied the great prayer of Hannah as she falls before God barren and ashamed and longing for a child and hurting in a place that her husband doesn't seem to even understand. We see David's prayers, of course, even tonight. It isn't hard to study prayers of great saints that have gone before us. If you've not ever read the great biography of George Mueller, I would plead with you to read that. If you want your prayer life to change, read uh, George Mueller's biography a man who prayed his way through life when he had nothing and ministered to hundreds and thousands and thousands of children while pastoring a church the entire time. And there's countless others of unknown believers that their prayer life is, uh, is heavenly in a lot of ways. I was writing this today and I thought, Lord, I don't think there's lines in heaven and I, I think that's our human imagination. But if there were... Maybe at the front of those lines are those who prayed faithfully. It's not, a, it's not a ministry that's often out front. It's usually a hidden ministry. It's usually behind the scenes a little more. I think nothing blesses my heart and Gina's heart as when someone comes up and says, Pastor, we're praying for you. We pray for you every day. I think those are heavenly treasures, uh, it's such a wonderful thing that we get to do. We get to commune with our Father in heaven. And we can pour out our hearts to Him. But all other followers of Christ should enjoy the ministry of prayer. It's a shame when we don't. Spurgeon said this, he said, All can pray. Believers. Speaking about believers. All can pray. Not all can preach. Not, not all can can do this or that or whatever else. Not, everybody has different gifts. I was, I'm very limited. I can't do what Brian just did. I'm very limited. <laughs> this is what I do. But all can pray. If you're a believer, if you have the Spirit of God in your life, you can pray. 
because that's what he does. He intercedes for us. He prays. So Spurgeon says all can pray and all must pray. Prayer has been said to move the invisible hand of God that moves the world. No Christian ministry or life will advance any further than his or her prayer life. There is no greater need than to pray. When we start to examine the Psalms, we see different types of prayer, as Brian mentioned last week. But here, towards the end of the book of Psalms that have all these Psalms within them, we find, we find a set of prayers that we believe David was the author of them, moved by the Spirit, of course. They start in Psalms 140, and they go through Psalms 144, and many think Psalms 145 with a crescendo of the great praise of Psalms 145. You've heard several of us preach that. I think Chris Johnson preached it this summer here in this pulpit. But when you look back at Psalms 140, you see, and, and, and again, I want you to look at these prayers later, maybe for your own personal study. You'll see in Psalms 140, there's this urgent prayer centered around a constant threat from the wicked. He feels that, and so he prays. There's, there's wicked out there. We understand this today, don't we? There's, there's forces trying to move against what God would want in our society and certainly in our church. But notice at the end of verse 140, chapter 140, verse 12, he says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and just for the poor. The poor in spirit, right? Those who have humbled themselves under God. Verse 13, surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will dwell in your presence. Even as difficult as times were in David's, he had always had enemies. Always somebody would want to kill him, even his own child. David knew the Lord was with him. Skipping Psalms 141, because we'll come back and teach through that. We go to Psalms 142, and here you find another psalm where David is crying for help as one who is in trouble. I've got troubles. There's troubles in his heart. There's troubles in his life, and you feel this intensity as he cries out to God, and, and he's seeking refuge and protection. And when you study this psalm, you'll realize that he is coming to the conclusion that though I'm in trouble and I'm seeking refuge, I am not alone. God is with me. And you want to feel alone in life? Don't pray. When we don't pray, we start to feel very alone. Now, God does never, he never leaves us, forsakes us. We know that, right? He doesn't abandon his children. But we feel alone because we never talk to him. <laughs> and then you throw in, don't read your Bible and just depend on preaching all the time. Now you don't hear from him. So you're not hearing from him. You're not talking to him. No wonder you feel alone. <laughs> it's a deadly combination, isn't it? That's why we get back to those spiritual disciplines. Read your Bible. Have time alone with the Lord. Talk to him. Pray with him. That's why I think sometimes... Brothers, this is a good challenge for us. Sometimes women have a little closer relationship sometimes with God, it seems. They don't want to be alone. They seem to cry out to God, but David has that. Look at the beginning of verse 3. In chapter 142, he says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Anybody ever felt that way? a little overwhelmed with what's going on in life and 
choices. Maybe people are making choices for you. You're affected by somebody else's sin. I don't, there's a million different things we can be overwhelmed with, right? But look, he says, when my spirit, that's, that's his inner person, his soul is troubled. I feel overwhelmed within me. You knew my path. Wow, what comfort, isn't that? feel overwhelmed and you don't talk to God and how are you going to solve that? No wonder the world drinks. No wonder they do drugs. See, there's no, there's no, there's no way to deal with this in so many ways, right? The escalating drug and alcohol problem just since COVID, when you talk to these doctors, 20,000 suicides, deaths by, or, or deaths by drug and alcohol just in Jacksonville alone, Tom and Cheryl were telling me from a doctor up there. During COVID, never made the news, never made a paper, no one ever talked about it. See, when your spirit's overwhelmed, where do you go to? David says, you know my path. What a great prayer. Psalms 143, here we find a prayer of David's that God would help him trust and obey. Isn't that interesting? Trust and obey. And, and, he, and, and throughout it, he uses the faithfulness of God to help him trust and obey. As he prays this prayer, he leans upon the faithfulness of God. Verse 11 in Psalms 143. For the sake of your name, O Lord, revive me. And in your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. You're a righteous God. You're a glorious God for your sake, for your glory, for your name. Rescue me out of trouble. Sometimes I think when we are all struggling, we go to God and we say, God, get me out of this. David says, God, get me out of this so you're glorified. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that different? It's pretty different, isn't it? Get me out of this. I need help. Well, yeah, you do. But why do you want out of it? Remember, we, we talked about this recently, Sunday mornings. We go through the trial, not around him. But when we come through it, is it for his glory? See, David says, take me through this for your glory. Psalms 144, the fourth and certainly not maybe the last. I I lean to Psalms 145 as being a prayer as well, but it is so praise, so full of praise as he finishes out what we think possibly some of his last recorded prayers. Um, The Psalms aren't in perfect order as they were put together, but, but Psalms 44 here now He says, in a sense, throughout these, there can be no victory if there's no battle. So he knows that that he has to go through something in order to have victory. And so think about that just for a moment. You say, well, I don't have victory over something. Well, it's got to be a battle. You have to have a battle to be a victory. You have to go into the game, right? You have to be in the game in order to win the game to have victory. And so David understands that. Notice how he starts Psalms 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Are you ready for battle? Man, it's just waiting for us out there through those doors, isn't it? Out those doors is a world that hates God, hates his design of the family, hates everything that is righteous and glorious about God in essence. And then they hate his followers by nature, right? They hate his children. And so they hate our marriages. They, they want our children. They, they, 
they want us to follow their ways. And then if that isn't bad enough, we throw our flesh into the pot, right? <laughs> its own desires, right? He, there's natural desires that we war, that wars against the spirit, Galatians 5 says, and, our, and, our, and the spirit wars against the flesh. And so we put all that together and there's trouble, isn't there? David says, train my hands. Get my fingers ready for battle. Notice in verse 5, as you drop down there, he calls on God to be a part of this battle, right? Bow your heavens. That's a war term, right? Bow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Pull back on heaven and come down. (laughs) Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and confuse them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of the great waters and out of the hands of the aliens. He knows he's in a battle, but he's in it. He's in it. He wants to win. And so here we have this set of prayers. Of course, Psalms 145, you know very well. We sing this. We actually sing this song. It's been written by, I think, a Sovereign Grace group as redone this and put it into song but we we've heard it preached many times and he just breaks out and prays and that's the last of david's psalms that we hear is psalms 145 but i want to look at psalms 141 this this evening concentrate on that for just a few minutes and see what we can learn here and i see in psalms 40 141 is david seeking deliverance from particularly from evil men and their evil ways That's a reoccurring theme in the prayer life of David. But David knows that prayer is a great strength. It isn't hard to study his prayers and go, this guy understands what prayer is about, man. He gets it. He knows. He knows he has to be dependent on God. He can't trust his own flesh because he already knows what that happened, right? Where his flesh got him in last time. He, he knows he must trust God because he has enemies that are, that are far numerous than him, far greater. They're already inside of his kingdom. He's a man of great prayer. And so he prays with great strength that he would allow God to step in and overcome the plots of his enemies. I, I, I was thinking about this today, I think. Lord, why do pastors love the, the prayers in the Psalms so much? And I knew the answer right away is because uh, as pastors, there's always somebody mad at you. You just, it's just for 30 some odd years, you've always had somebody mad at you. you, you you're talked about, you're, I mean, all this stuff goes on all the time and, and, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? I, I remember we went through a really hard time in a particular church And it was so difficult. And I remember my boys, my older boys saying, Dad, why don't you fight back? I said, son, I can't. I just got to trust the Lord. We just got to go through this. And you just pray because anything you do looks self-serving. I mean, all kinds of things. And you just pray. And I think that's why why people who go through constant attacks love the Psalms, love particularly the prayers of the Psalms because you realize there is uh, a great war going on against the things you are kindly, you hope, standing for and trying to teach. And so there's a real connection, and I hope that's true with you as well as us pastors. 
But David sees prayer as a means of reassuring himself, though. He has to reassure. He's, in, he's got some pressures, right? He's got a son and, and, and his, his right-hand man, Ahipothel, in Psalms 55, abandons him to go fight with his son who wants to kill him. And he, he's had great sorrow of all these things. So he, he, he uses prayer, in a sense, as you study this, to reassure himself of the graces of God that he stands in. And he does it over and over and over and over. And I thought about that today, and I thought, oh, Lord, that's what we do, isn't it? You have to remind yourselves of the graces we stand in. And we have to do it daily. We call this preaching the gospel to ourselves, don't we? And I think David's trust was in the power of God and not his own. There was times it was in his own, right? And man, that was a problem. A lot of people died when he did that. He knew that. And so he wanted to trust in the power of God and not in his own. And you hear that in these prayers. When you study his prayer life, he just constantly is asking for dependency upon God. And it's great, great to learn from that. And I think that's one of the things why we're doing this tonight is that the Psalms teach us how to pray. They teach us how to pray. And so here in God's word, it's letting us in on a very intimate setting between David and his God. And you and I get to peek into this closet prayer room with King David. And we get to hear his prayer, and it is inspired by God, and it is something that we should do ourselves. So let me give you just five quick thoughts. We're going to go down through here quickly. One, a prayer of dependency and worship. A prayer of dependency and worship. In worship. Look at those first two verses. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting of my hands as evening offering. Well, isn't hard to miss the respectful statement that he starts with. Oh Lord, oh master, ruler of all. Jesus did. He, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, it starts with this great statement of who God is, something of word, your Lord, your master of all. That's who he's calling on. And I love the fact that he calls. There's other Psalms that he cries out. You know, it's not wrong to cry out to God. Now, be careful here. It's not even wrong to question God if your motives are right. Because I don't always understand what God's doing. Many times I say, God, I, I do not know what you're doing here. What, what, where's this going? I'm so limited, God. I don't have that, that omniscience you have. I, I, I'm not omnipresent. I, I don't have that, God. And I don't know where you're going. Why would you allow this to happen? Lord, help me trust you while I wait upon you for those things. But David says, I call. Quar is the Hebrew word there. It means to cry out. It actually is used of a roaring lion. It means to roar. So this isn't, this isn't oh God, hey. <laughs> I mean, this is expressive. David's expressing himself. He's crying out. He's roaring out. It's even used to proclaim and preach and things like that. It's not silent, right? You may 
think you're keeping everything to yourself, but that's not helpful. There's times you just need to call out to God. There's this attitude of coming quickly. Call, I call upon you, not anybody else, not my, not my, my assistants or those who guide and direct me. I call upon you, and I ask you to hasten to me. Come quickly. Can you see the sense of urgency in that psalm? There's some desperation there, isn't there? Hey, don't hasten. Come quickly, God. I need to hear from you. I, I need to understand what I'm going through. Uh, the latter part of verse 1 there, give ear. Give ear. Certainly God is spirit, but we have this anthropomorphic view of God, right? He listens. He even says, my ear is attentive attentive to my children. And so David sees him as a father-type figure, and so he, he says, give ear to me. Oh, Lord, please listen to me. See, it's a, it's a dependent need. I can't accomplish this without you. What a great position we have in prayer. Look at verse 2 with me. May my prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands at the evening offering. One of the things I learned as I went through Leviticus is I don't think anybody speaks about the temple and the sacrifices past the Pentateuch more than David does. David is extremely familiar with the temple. He's extremely familiar with, with true worship with God Knowing that God is going to bring someone who would relieve all of these, he knows there's a deliverer. I have no doubt that he, did, he believed in a coming Messiah. And, and I think uh, without a shadow of doubt, he knew that these sacrifices were temporary, but it was his way to be connected to God, to be having a fellowship with God, and he loved the sacrificial system. And so I think verse 2 reveals his familiarity with this. Daily offerings of incense... They accompanied the burnt offerings, right? They would, we saw this in Leviticus and, and back, all the way back in Exodus when the instructions were given. And, and there was, uh, on the Sabbath, there was, there was often a lamb that was sacrificed in the morning, but then there was another one in the evening. And, and many of the, the true followers of God would show up there in the evening for that final sacrifice of the day. And as as the offering went burned up and the incense went up, there they prayed and thanked God daily, on that, particularly on that day, for God's provision and His forgiveness for their sins. Exodus 29, 41, somewhere around there, um, outlines that evening prayer. And, it is, it, and I think it's so beautiful when you read this. May my prayers be counted as incense before you. When you burn incense, what does it do? It doesn't lay on the ground, right? It goes up. And he knows it's going up. Now, again, Catholicism and a lot of other things have taken that way, way beyond what the text says. But here it just reminds me, my intentions and thoughts and the troubles of my heart and my worship is going up towards you. And he's doing it during sacrifice time, right? The lifting up my hands as the evening offering. And and so just like that evening offering goes, my hands go up to you. His dependency. There's a dependency upon his God. I don't think there's any time frame to dependency. 
I think at times in the morning or evening or whenever you get alone with the Lord, maybe for some of you, you drive and pray on your commutes or whatever um, it may be. There's lots of times. But, but I, I think we shouldn't put it into time frames, right? Well, I'm dependent on God here when I'm over in my closet praying, but the rest of the day I'm just trying to get through it with my own strength, right? We miss the whole teaching of prayer, right? Prayer is this ongoing, never-ceasing, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5, never-ceasing prayer, so we're always one thought away from being, being right in the presence of God, right talking with Him, uh, sharing our struggles, to, one thought away from pouring our heart out for His dependency. That's that idea. And he thinks how this is how David lived his life for a great portion of it. Well, number two, he, we see a prayer of confession. This is a very interesting passage, verses 3 and 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat their delicacies. Well, David is in pursuit of God in his prayer life, isn't he? You can just pick that up. But I think he knows his limitations, the limitations of his flesh, doesn't he? I recently heard a preacher say, we're all just five minutes away from the shipwreck of our faith if we let our flesh go. If we just gave into our flesh the things that go through our mind at times and really through our hearts and the idolatry that can get in there, we are just five minutes away from ruining all kinds of things if it wasn't for the grace of God. So I think David knows the limitations of his flesh. I think it's a good question for us. Do we? Do we know our limitations? Do we know, let me ask it this way, do we know our tendencies for sin? Where's yours? Anybody want to stand up and say it? No, just kidding. <laughs> but think through it. Where's your tendencies to sin? David knew his. In the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. <laughs> he knew he could desire comfort. He could justify it. Look, I fought bears and lions and giants and, and all these, you know, I've slayed my thousands and saw his hundreds or however, ten thousands and thousands, whatever. I think I'm going to stay home and wow. He desired comfort and it cost, cost a son, it cost a good man, it cost so much. So I think we, when I look at this, I thought, Lord, I need to know my sinful tendencies, what they are. I need to be aware of the limitations of my flesh where it seeks to war against the Spirit. Because with one side of our mouth, we can call quickly on the Lord for help, but on the other side of it, evil can escape because out of the mouth flows the issues of the heart, isn't it? And we go, wow, how did I do that? At one moment I was over here praying or talking to his brother and sister, and the next moment over here something got evil out of my mouth. I think David understands that. And so look what he does. Three, verse three. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. I mean, there's anybody who knew guards, David knew guards. They were the best. 
Your best men guarded the king. He understood what this was. He says, oh God, guard my heart. This is a prayer. This isn't, we're not, we're not reading a sermon here. We're not reading some didactic instruction in the Bible um, about you know, how the church should be doing this. This is a prayer. This is one man talking to his God that God inspired so we could read it thousands of years later. And he says, set a guard over my mouth. What a prayer. And you and I know what happens when our mouth is not guarded, right? James says it's like a rudder of a giant ship. A little teeny rudder can just turn these massive ships, right, in comparison. A bit in a horse's mouth, a spark of a fire. You can see what's going on in our home state, California, every year. That's what it does. And so David realizes the damage of it. He knows what it can do, how destructive it is. It needs to be guarded. It needs to be protected. Because if it gets loose, it hurts things, doesn't it? You and I know we've hurt people with our mouths, haven't we? And we've been hurt. The tongue is dangerous, isn't it? A whole section of scripture given to the first century church on the tongue. And we haven't got any better with it. 2,000 years later, we still look at that passage and go, oh, yeah, yeah, James is right. <laughs> and so David says, look, God, you've got to help me. Oh, Lord, master, you've got to be the master of my, my tongue, my mouth. You've got to set a guard over it. And, and it's hard. And he goes a little farther, keep watch over the door of my lips. And it's trying to come out of my heart. It's trying to get the room. Zip it. Right? See, this is a hard issue, isn't it? The world doesn't know quite how to deal with this stuff. They say, well, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Well, that's not the solution, right? The solution is it has to happen here. And yet, the mouth and the heart are indefinitely tied together. And so we know as he deals with the mouth and he deals with the lips, David's saying, oh, God, you've got to seal my heart. Because what's in it is going to come out. See, David knows the answer is the power of God, doesn't he? Look what he says. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, said a guard. Oh, Lord, keep watch. Oh, Lord, do not incline my heart to any evil. Oh, Lord, do not let me eat the delicacies of the wicked. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. That's what he keeps going back. He knows the power of his Lord to help him defeat these things. Verse 4, notice David prays that he will not do what the evil do. <laughs> God, keep us from evil. Don't let us practice what they practice. The consistent failure of sin in our life should be obvious to us at times, right, brothers and sisters? And, and we should pray, oh, God, I, I am a child of yours. Don't let me act like the world. I'm, I, I'm not part of them anymore. And I think this is what David's doing. I don't want to practice that anymore. And notice he uses a very beautiful word, word in a little bit. He says, do not let me eat their delicacies. Some of the things the world has is just so succulent. 
got to have this or I got to have that. It's so pulling on us. And it depends on where you're at in life, where they're, how they're targeting. The things they're targeting our younger people on, like, yeah, I really don't care. I'm probably never going to get into that swimming suit again. <laughs> Not a big deal. But they'll target us in other areas. That's what the world does. And so here David realizes as things haven't changed. Man has still fallen. He's not any more fallen than he ever has. When they fell in the garden, they fell fully depraved, dead in their sins. And so he knows that they offer delicacies that are attractive. And for David, it was, it was power. And let somebody else fight the battles. I'll stay home. Oh, that woman looks great. I'll take her. I mean, he knew what those things were. I just love that last phrase. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. Brothers and sisters, is there something we're partaking of the world that we need to let go? Three, it's a prayer for help and strength. Look at verse five with me. Let the righteous smite me with kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. For still my prayer is against the wicked deeds. Their wicked deeds. Well, here I think David desires that God would send a kind and righteous person who would be willing to come into his life and rebuke him and discipline him. He's calling for it, isn't he? Now, this is interesting. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Lord, let somebody righteous come in and smite me. (laughs) But do it with kindness and righteousness. (laughs) That's not a great friend. He's asking for someone who loves God To come into his life and help him see things he can't see. Remember, they're called blinders because we are what? Thank you. All of us have them in areas. Iron sharpens iron. I mean, a friend that loves at all time. I mean, oh my goodness, you can't find such that. Better than that, right? And so David's calling for that. He knows he needs to be surrounded by godly people. will help him... um, restrain himself from actions that are not pleasing to God. He needs accountability. He needs a soul care group, doesn't he? Got that one in. But, I mean, that's what we do, right? Those soul care groups, DTPs, discipleship, two, two or three people getting gathered together, sitting, reading the Bible, praying for one another, upholding each other. There's, there's accountability there. You can't say, hey, brother, will you pray for me and my mind and where it goes and then walk out and go out and turn on your phone and start looking at pornography. Oh, well, you can. People do it. But man, that accountability is, man, send that righteous brother to discover those things, right? See, David wants that in his life. He knows he needs it. This is, I I would think these, these are after his fall that we see in 2 Samuel 12. And I think one of the reasons, this is my personal commentary on this, is I think one of the reasons that he writes this is because he saw such value in what Nathan did. Nathan comes in. I bet that man was shaken, like, you know, a little prophetess wifey at home, whoever, whatever, called the prophet's wife. Hey, uh, I got to go do something that I could lose my head over today. And he goes in and tells him a little story about the lamb. Remember that, right? One guy had all the lambs, he had everything, but his friend comes to town and kills the lamb of somebody else who only had one who cherished it. I mean, what? <laughs> what a word picture Nathan did. Amazing. And Nathan did not lose his head. 
In fact, God honored him because he did what was right, and David repented because that man stood up to him in a kind and gracious way and called him to repentance, and he believed him. And I think you see some of that reflection in this verse. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. I need to be reproved. I need, reprove means you, you need air, air exposed in your life. There's an, air, there, there's an arrogance or air, meaning wrong thinking needs to be exposed. Wrong actions need to be exposed. And David says, oh, Lord, smite me with that. He could have said, just bring somebody in. He, said, he uses the word smite. The Hebrew word is the idea of being slayed. Let him slay me. Let him not hold back. It's quite a statement, isn't it? The last phrase there. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he, he, here's what this, you think, well, God, I don't know if I can take someone coming in and exposing my sin and stuff. Well, look what David says. It's like oil on your head. Do not let my head refuse it. Um, there's nothing better than getting your hair cut right and have somebody else wash and shampoo your hair. I mean, it's the best feeling in the world. I, I've seen people who were dying and not, you know, going through so much treatment and some dear sister would come in and wash their hair for them. It's a pleasure, isn't it? David says it's, pleasure, it's pleasurable. I've learned to take pleasure when someone says, hey, David... What you said was wrong. He finds pleasure in that. Notice the last phrase. He says, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. And though David knows of his own weaknesses, those weaknesses do not stop him from praying against the wicked. And I think that's really a key. Still, I think maybe in some cases, sometimes a brother or sister who has fallen into sin but repents of it and comes out of it, sometimes they feel like they can't speak because they don't have a leg to stand on. Let me say this. When you are forgiven and God says, I will remove your sins from the east as far as the west, I choose never to bring them up, that, that great forgiveness that you and I all have, he frees us to live lives, not under a past sin. David says, put things behind you and press on for the upward calling. Keep moving forward. And so I think what David does here in this psalm, he says, but for still my prayers against the, their wicked deeds. He's able still to say, though, though I failed, though I committed adultery and I was murderous and I would lie to the nation and it causes the death of people and, 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 and God, please, I still make a stand because you make a stand against wickedness. I, just, I think that's an amazing statement there. For... A prayer for God's justice. Remember, he's still living in this very wicked world, right? He's surrounded by enemies. Israel has everybody hating them all the way around them. Some things haven't changed, right? If you study the Middle East, everybody hates Israel, right? And so here, he, he still knows that God is a just God. And he, and he wants that justice, right? And he sees what has happened, the injustices that have happened, and he wants to now speak out against it. He's, he, he, he knows that he's inclined to evil. He's, he's asking God to hear him and protect him and send people into his life and guard his mouth and his lips and so forth. And even, even bring someone in who would smite me righteously. But then he remembers what goes on out there. He goes, their judges, isn't that interesting, are thrown down by the sides of the rock. 
and they hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks open the earth, our, personal pronoun there, our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. Well, in the ancient world, when evil leaders conquered um, their enemies, they often took their leaders and threw them off a cliff to sign of justice. So this is probably what this is referring to in some ways here. But isn't it interesting, in Luke chapter 4, verse 29, that's exactly what they tried to do to Jesus. Everything was rosy and everything was great, as long as he was reading Isaiah and it all kind of fit in the promise and the kingdom for them. And then all of a sudden he started reading about people that weren't Israelites that God blessed. And they go, you, me, Cliff. And the Bible says he disappeared from amidst them. I think what David is doing here is he knows divine justice is sweet. He really does. He knows God's justice is sweet. When we take justice on our hands, it is not sweet, but he knows God's is sweet. And, and he even longed for his enemies to understand God's judgment. Maybe they'll fall under it. Maybe they'll be the ones that will be dashed down on it. But he wants them to see what true justice looks like. He has a longing for that. And I think that's something we can pray for because someday the King of Kings will be here. Every knee will fall. Every tongue will confess. Everyone will know that he is Lord. And we should long for divine justice. I promise you we're not going to get it till the Prince of Peace shows up. But we should long for it. And we should long for people to understand a God of justice. And if you've been hurt in this room or been something unjust done to you, simple or great, it should make you long for the justice of God. Not to get even. We're not vindictive people. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But we want people to see what true justice looks like. And I think as Christians, there is a longing for the world to see how just God is. And I think David wants that. He knows at times he tried to do justice and it didn't work out. Verse 7, you see that David gives the reason for these justice to be thrown over the cliffs in a sense. It's because the bodies of the righteous they had been broken open, he says. And it's the idea like a farmer opens the earth and lays here now at the doorstep of the grave people that couldn't even be buried, no dignity even given to them, no even justice in death, as I think what David is pointing to. And the wicked cared very little about the righteous and they refused to honor them even in death. And, and, and David knew this was as, as terrible injustice. I think for Christians, we should be greatly troubled over abortion. Greatly troubled over it. Greatly troubled over murders of Christians around the world. We, we, were, we just don't understand truly what goes on around the world. You've got to get over there, and you've got to see it firsthand, and it wakes you up, and you go, oh my goodness, this is so hard, what they're trying to do in North Africa. Everything's against them. It's so hard, and there's so much injustice. And so we, it drives us back for, for the justice of God, and so David is praying for justice, and so should we. But we can't allow ourselves beyond the sweet mercy of God when we pray this, right? Because you just can't so you know, oh God, go give them hell. Because we deserved hell. 
So the gospel has to enter into that, right? And that's why the Bible says to be kind to your enemies, keep coals of fire on their heads, right? Be, be kind to those who persecute, love those who persecute you. Jesus taught that. See, we, we don't take that vengeance, but we do. I think there is this desire, those who would know Jesus, that we want to see what true justice looks like. We long for that day. And, and guess what? That justice will, that final justice will propel us into eternity where there will be never anything ever unjust again. And so with that justice of God comes perfection for eternity. Wow. I think David was after these things. My last thought here, five, the prayer of reliance and protection. A prayer of reliance and protection. Look at verse eight. For my eyes are towards you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Man, he's, he's bled his heart out, right? He's confessed his own sins. He, he knows the wickedness of his mouth and lips. And he knows he needs to be reproofed. He needs to be smitten by righteousness and kindness. He, he needs all those things. And in the end, as he wraps this thing up, says... Oh, my eyes are towards you. He looks away from the threat that he's under. Whatever, whatever's going on in David's life, and it's really hard to kind of connect these to where he was at. For, but whatever it was, he pulls his eyes off of those threats, those injustices, uh, the, the bad things that were done. He pulls them off and he goes right back to the Lord. See, so one of our issues is we linger on the evil stuff at times. And we'll be mad about it and we'll post about it and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it and we'll do all those things and we fail to turn our eyes back to the Lord. And I think this is probably a mark that on Christians that we've got to clean up. We've become more political than we are lovers of God. God is going to take care of the nations. This nation is going to get away with nothing. Nobody gets away with nothing. We have to turn our eyes to the Lord, and this is what he does. My eyes now are toward, towards you, O Lord, the God. The, I mean, it's, O God, the Lord. You're, you're the one. You're the Yahweh. And you, look at this, I take my refuge. See, I think there's this clear rejection of self-reliance and this desperate need of God to protect him. You go, David, you're, you're king of one of the greatest armies of the world. You guys crushed nations. You're, you're one of the greatest warriors that ever walked on this planet. I mean, he, he's everything a Navy SEAL, special force guy could ever be. And then he's got all these great warriors that run with him, right? The great men of David. You've read of these guys, some faster than whatever's. And, I mean, amazing. But look, he's not looking to them. He's looking to God, right? And these men are, are not more than a word away from him, but he looks to God and says, I need to put my refuge in you. Do not let me be defenseless. You go, David, you've got all these guys around you. And he goes, no, I'm defenseless because they can't stop what only God can stop. And think about that. What soldier can stop what goes through my heart? Isn't that amazing? He knows he needs the power of God to protect him. 
Don't leave me defenseless. You ever felt defenseless? Maybe in a situation like, man, anything could go wrong here and I'm in trouble. It's a terrible feeling, isn't it? But you and I are not left defenseless. The spirit of the almighty God has taken residence within us. The member of the third member of the Trinity lives within us, has claimed this as his temple. He never leaves us nor forsakes us because we are his temple. He's there. We're one breath away from stepping into his presence in a conversation. So we shouldn't feel that way, but times we do. Verse 9, keep me from the jaws of the trap which they have set for me and from the snares of those who do iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets. Well, David asks that their evil plans that they've made against him will backfire. <laughs> Sometimes we pray that, right? Lord, I, I, I want them to be saved, but Lord, do whatever it takes. Let them fall into their own snares. Let them fall into their own traps. Let their lies catch up with them. Let, 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 Let the consequences catch up with them, God. Because they're not putting their eyes on you. And he makes this final statement. While I pass by safely. Remember I said we go through the trial, not around it? It's not easy, right? People falling down left and right. There's traps, there's snares, there's all this stuff going on. But yet we have a God who does not leave us defensive and he's moving us through this and we're feeling the effects of some of those things around us. But we are not defenseless. He's taking us through the trial and when we get through, we go, oh, you got me through this, God. I think that's what David's after. So what a great instruction of prayer this is, isn't it? Will you pray with desperation? I don't do that enough. I was really convicted over this. Am I desperate? Am I desperate? Am I longing for God's strength? Jesus said to his disciples in that great teaching on him being the branch and them the vine, he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And yet we try to do what? Everything. We go through these massive decisions in our life and we didn't even pray. We never got down as a family or a couple or a single and got on our faces before God and say, oh God, what do I do here? We just make decisions. It's foolish, isn't it? And so these verses teach us to be dependent, not prideful. And I think much of our prayer life comes down to our view of God. You have a high view of God. You say, oh yeah, I have a high view of God. I've been at Riverbend for years. I've been through all the theologies. I've been to DTP. I've been to this or then been to that. Well, that ought to come out in our prayer life. (laughs) We need to be careful sometimes because we actually have a very man-centered. Steve Lawson said this. I'll close with this. Because we apply this to lost sinners now. As we think through this, he was applying it. He said, our prayers for lost sinners are great examples. Only God can open the sinner's blind eyes to the spiritual truth. So he's, he's talking about how we pray for the, the passion and dependency we have to save family members who don't know Jesus, uh, friends, and whatever, right? So we have this great passion because only God can open the blind eyes of the sinner. 
to see spiritual truth. Only uh, uh, op- he can open the, the sinner's closed heart to receive truth. Only God can um, un, uh, open, open the deaf ears to hear the gospel. Only God can convict the lost sinner of sin and righteousness and judgment. Only God is able to take a dead sinner, cause them, give them faith, they repent and come alive. Therefore, it is God to whom we must pray for salvation for unregenerate sinners. But, (laughs) on the other hand, do we pray with such desperation for our own lives? I plead for children and family and friends of lost sinners. I mean, there's times where I just spend incredible time praying for lost people. Desperate. Telling God, there's no way that person's coming to you unless you save them, God. Total dependence on him to save that person. And yet, is there that, that type of urgency and intensity, intensity for sin in my own life or or direction for his will, uh, all those things. Father, it's been a good study here tonight. Um, These are things we need to be reminded of. We thank you that King David, thousands of years ago, was inspired by the same spirit that indwells with us to write such a prayer. It was put down, and here we are, so long ago, so long later, reading this in all of us, I'd imagine in this room, feeling some sense of conviction, uh, certainly a sense of protection. Really coming to an understanding that prayer just draws us in, at least humanly, to this deeper walk with you even in the most hardest times, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray we would be desperate in our prayer life. We'd call upon you. We'd have a sense of urgency, Lord, whether it's thanking you for our breakfast. May we do that with, with passion and gratefulness, Lord, or the desperate plea for a loved one that you would save them. Lord, grab us, grow us in our prayer life Grow us in our theology so our prayer life will grow as well. May those two work in tandem to help us be more like your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.